the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. ConsumerAccess.org. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. to be alive to you and dead to me. What can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit was sitting in a Holy Spirit revival conference in Sarnia, Canada on September 1, 1996. And I was listening to a pastor who had been a part of the Welsh revival. He was an old man. He's now gone. I listened to him open the scriptures and he began to read this passage Isaiah 63, who is this coming from Eden? From Bozar, with his garments stained crimson, who is this, robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? As he began to read this account of the righteousness of God, tears began to stream down his face. Why are your garments red like those of one treading the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments and I... 
I stained all my clothing. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and the year of my redemption has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support. So my own arm worked salvation for me. My own wrath sustained me. I trampled the nations in my anger. In my wrath I made them drunk and poured their blood, their blood on the ground. As he read this passage of scripture, the tears just burst forth, so much so that he had to stop speaking. And as he spoke these words, many of us in the congregation began to weep with him. The Holy Spirit came down. And with fear and with trembling, we sat in the presence of the Almighty God. Not much more was said that evening. It was taken up with confession with repentance we were in the presence of God we've talked a lot about the judgment of God is about to come on America the judgment of God is about to come on the church the truth is that judgment has already come It's come in a way that we did not expect. Isaiah 63, verse 10. They rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, so he turned and became their enemy, and he himself fought against them. And if you continue in Isaiah 63, he says, why, O oh Lord, do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so we do not revere you? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes that are your inheritance. Oh, that you would come down and rend the heavens and the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to help those who gladly do right who remember your ways. Well, what am I saying? We see God's judgment in the church today because the chief characteristic of the American church is complacency. We have settled back down into a comfortable place where we're able in the church, in the American church, to walk with the with the devil and the world eat of the entertainment of the world act like the world spend time and money like the world but the fire of God is not among the church in America anymore and the only answer is to cry out for revival 
and to begin each of us to repent before God for our casualness, our lack of concern, our complacency. But see, what's so difficult is that when you're in a complacent, lazy, sleepy place, it's almost impossible to wake up. Only by the grace of God can a people wake up. And the scriptures are full of accounts of God coming in judgment and then coming to revive his people once again. We're planning a day of revival, an evening of revival. Those meetings will begin on December 4, 2017. That's this coming Monday night at the All Saints Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. You're welcome to come. We'll give you the address later in the broadcast. But we're going to share some stories of revival today. We want you to understand this deadness this slowness, this lack of zealous vigor for God, this lack of hunger has to be broken. We must have Jesus. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Without the revival of the Holy Spirit, we will all perish in sin. Some of us have just utterly turned our hearts toward the Lord. And we've repented. We want you to do the same. We want you to come alive in Jesus. My wife, Alexandra, is with me. She's going to share first some of the story of revival, some past experiences, and then I'm going to share also so, Alexandra, what would you like to share? Welcome. Thank you for joining us. So, I've noticed as I've spoken to Christians that a lot of Christians, when I use the term revival, they say, well, what is revival? They've never even heard the term before. So, probably many of you listening aren't really sure what is meant by the term revival. It's also used in different ways. So, I'm going to look at four different short accounts of different revivals that will illustrate what kind of revival we're talking about. So the first one comes uh, from 1907 in Pyongyang, which is now the capital of North Korea. But at the time of this revival, there was just one Korea. And as a result of this of these revivals that lasted for several years, about 25% of the population became Christian. And Pyongyang was even known as the Jerusalem of the East. So there's a missionary, Reverend Graham Lee from 1907, who talks about what these revivals looked like. So he describes first the missionaries began to pray for revival. And he says, On Sunday morning, regular services were held in each of the city's churches, 
Then Sunday evening, everyone gathered again at the central church in a continuation of the union meetings. The missionaries expected great things from that Sunday evening meeting. But instead of receiving a great blessing, they had a most peculiar experience. The meeting seemed dead, and God's spirit seemed to have departed. After an address and a few perfunctory testimonies, which testified to nothing, everyone went home with heavy hearts, wondering where the trouble lay. During the meetings before, there had been testimonies which had life in them, and confessions of sin which were real and earnest. But Sunday night, everything seemed blocked, and the meeting a dead formal thing. This experience caused the missionaries to cry out to God for help at their noon meeting the following day. They then gathered for the evening service. So here Reverend Lee again tells of the incredible hours that followed at that evening service. He writes, We went to the Monday evening service, not knowing what would happen, but praying all the time that God would hear an answer. When we reached the building, I think we all felt that something was coming. After a short address, we had audible prayer together, all the audience joining in, and this audible prayer, by the way, has been one of the features of these meetings. After the prayer, there were a few testimonies, and then the leader announced a song asking the audience to rise, and stating that all those who wished to go home could do so as we intended to stay until morning if there were men who wished to remain that long and confess their sins. A great many went, but between five and six hundred remained. These we gathered into one side of the building and then began a meeting, the like of which none of us had ever seen. After prayer, confessions were called for, and immediately the Spirit of God seemed to descend on that audience. Man after man would rise, confess his sins, break down and weep, and then throw himself to the floor and beat the floor with his fists in a perfect agony of conviction. My own cook tried to make a confession, broke down in the midst of it, and cried to me across the room, Pastor, tell me, is there any hope for me? Can I be forgiven? And then he threw himself to the floor and wept and wept and almost screamed in agony. Sometimes after a confession, the whole audience would break out in audible prayer, and the effect of that audience of hundreds of men praying together in audible prayer was something indescribable. Again, after another confession, they would break out in uncontrollable weeping, and we would all weep. We couldn't help it. And so the meeting went on until 2 a.m., with confession and weeping and praying. At 2 a.m., there were still men who wished to confess, but the building had grown cold, and the pastors involved thought it best to close the meeting. At the Tuesday noon prayer meeting, the missionaries met with hearts full of thanksgiving for the wonderful meeting of the evening before, and again asked God for greater blessings on the Tuesday evening meeting. So you see here that there's a call for public confession of sin and there is such conviction of sin on behalf of the people there. And that's a sure sign that the Holy Spirit has indeed come. We saw this more recently in India in what was called the Shillong Revival. So there was an initial revival there in 1906, and then in 2006, there was another revival. And so you can go on YouTube and actually search Shillong Revival. It's S-H-I-L-L-O-N-G. And you'll get many videos of this revival. And what's interesting about this one is it actually began in schools of young children who weren't even teenagers yet. So, 
BBC reported on it in 2006, October 1, with an article called Miracles Boost Indian Christians. So this revival began with a group of teachers who formed what they called a prayer line. And so all the teachers would pray from 2 to 4 a.m. every night, praying for revival in the school. And they kept this on for several years. And then finally, one day in, in the middle of class, one of the students started to sing a gospel song. And immediately the Holy Spirit came. And that day, there were 30 to 40 students in that school who had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And you can look at the videos and you see these students lying on the ground on blankets in their uniforms and they're weeping, their other students are praying for them. Uh, many of the students had visions of heaven, they saw angels, they, some students were able to take pictures of the angels with their phone. So what you're seeing here is again that intense conviction of sin that is crippling, where you experience it and you can't even get up off the floor. And this revival wasn't just in the schools, but there was a, a Presbyterian church in the area that had a large wooden cross on the wall. And on September 6, 2006, the cross began to glow, and it continued to glow for months. And Christians from all denominations came and would wait in line to go into this church and people were being saved, people were being healed. And this all happened as a result of the prayers of these teachers. So the revival mostly focused on young children, teenagers, and adults in their 20s. And I also wanted to speak about, some of you may have heard of Maria Woodworth Etter. So she was a revivalist in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And I wanted to look at two of her accounts, one in 1912 in Indianapolis and the second in 1913 in Chicago. So I like these more modern examples because we can see that revival is not just a thing of the past and that the fact that we have automobiles or internet isn't in any way a hindrance to revival. So this is from 1912, Indianapolis. A reporter writes, Throngs packed the large tent from the first, two or three thousand often standing around the tent. Great numbers of the sick and afflicted came and were brought on cots and in different ways, reminding us of the scenes described in the Gospels when our Lord was upon the earth. Night after night, as soon as the invitation was given, all the available space around the 50-foot altar would be filled with so many who were suffering with diseases and afflictions and others who were seeking salvation and the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that it was difficult to get in and, in and out among them. For several weeks, there have been too many seeking healing to be prayed for, and some each night have had to go away disappointed and come again. There were so many sick that there was always a rush for the altar as soon as the invitation was given. Many have been wonderfully healed before the service began, and sometimes there's been no preaching, nothing but the altar service. A hundred seekers often come to the altar at one time. Many have been saved and healed at the same time, and have got up shouting and clapping their hands. Many who were not saved came to be healed, 
and after listening to the gospel, they realized that their souls were in a worse condition than their bodies, and dropped the matter of being healed until they made their peace with God. The news of victory went out, and hundreds have already come from all over the United States, many bringing their sick hundreds of miles, some on cots in the baggage cars. Twenty states have been represented in a single service, coming on purpose to attend the meetings. Many ministers have come and gone and have received greater faith and power for the service of God. Many members of churches have come for healing, and God has shown them that they had never been born of the Spirit. In almost every service, for nearly three months, the slaying power so common in the day of Finney, Jonathan Edwards, and others has been manifested, often the slain of the Lord covering nearly all the altar space in front of the tent. Many most wonderful visions and revelations often throwing light on the coming of the Lord, have been given to those thus slain by the power of God. Many have seen balls of fire and lights in and around the tent. Some of these have been sinners. Jesus has appeared to many in the meetings, and many have at different times seen a great host of angel, angels just above the audience. In one service, several at the same time saw and heard the awful explosion of the mine near Constantinople and screamed out at the same time. So this and a number of awful battles in Turkey and other calamities have been seen and told in the meeting before they appeared in the daily papers. We praise God for bearing witness to, the witness to the gospel, not only with signs and wonders and diverse miracles, but also with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Besides great numbers being wonderfully saved and healed, about 300 more have received the baptism in the Holy Spirit during the last three months speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. Over 100 of this number were from other states and towns. A number were ministers. We just lately moved into our new large frame tabernacle seating 1,000 people, and Sunday hundreds were turned away, unable to get into the building. During the past few days, people have come from the Atlantic to the Pacific to attend the meetings. We see no reason why still greater victory should not be given during the months to come. There has been a continuous revival here ever since February 2nd, 1911, and this was written in July 1912. The second account is from the Stone Church in Chicago. This was another continuous revival that happened. Written by, this was written by a writer for the Latter Rain Evangel paper. Chicago has just had the mightiest visitation of the supernatural she's ever known. God came down and walked in our midst, fulfilling the word to Israel, I will bring it health and cure, and will reveal unto them abundance of peace and truth. Healing streams flowed like rivers, and many are rejoicing in miraculous deliverance of body and in the glory of God filling their souls. The month of July has passed into history with its record of hundreds saved and healed, while the faith of thousands has been quickened many times over. As arranged, Mrs. M.B. Woodworth Etter spent the month of July at the Stone Church. Pentecostal scenes as in apostolic days were daily enacted. The blind received their sight, the deaf heard, paralytics walked, rheumatics were delivered, broken-down nerves restored, and demons driven out, in all of which the name of the Lord was magnified. So this all happened in 1913 in Chicago. From the beginning of these special meetings, faith was strong and the hearts were open for blessings. The unbroken unity and blessed fellowship 
that had characterized the revival since March 20th, with continuous showers of blessing, had prepared for the harvest, so there was nothing to do but to take the sickle and reap. All Chicago learned of the mighty workings of God in our midst. The daily papers reported some of the meetings, and though they tried to caricature the proceedings and bring ridicule the sacred, to the sacred things of God, yet even in this garbled form some truth was presented. Psalm 76, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. And since it was admitted that there were healings, the Lord doubtless used these reports to awaken hope in some despairing hearts. Even those who came out of mere curiosity were moved at witnessing the power of God manifested in deliverance to the afflicted. At first, the meetings were advertised by posters at the elevated stations, but after some marked healings occurred, this was no longer necessary. People came by carloads on the electric. They came in automobiles, wheelchairs, and on foot from all directions. It was a touching spectacle, reminding one of the gospel narrative, and all the city was gathered together at the door. Mark 1. Earnest interest on the part of the workers was not by any means confined to the stone church people or those most intimately connected with the work. It was not a stone church affair, but encompassed the whole church in its broadness. From all over the city, Pentecostal leaders and workers came and participated with as much interest as though the work was in their own missions. All who came even from a distance threw themselves into the work of praying with the sick with much earnestness, showing in a marked way the growing spirit of unity. There was no building up of my work, which naturally characterizes individual effort, but on every hand it was evidence that all were unselfishly working in the interest of Christ's body, and missions and churches were forgotten in the united effort to get souls to God. This is what we're talking about when we say that the Revival Now movement isn't about one church or one denomination. <clears throat> but it's an inter-church, inter-denominational movement of Christians united <coughs> around seeing the kingdom come. So the narrative continues. God honored the faith of all. People who had their eyes on him received healing regardless of who prayed for them. Healing flowed all through the church at different hours, not only in meetings during the day, but during the day. Here and there you would see groups of people praying for the sick and hear shouts of glory coming from the suffering ones who were told that the lightning of heaven had touched their bodies. And this opened the door to the salvation of souls. As one man who received a wonderful experience of salvation said, I never saw or felt such power in a meeting in all my life. Although I was a sinner, I felt the power of God. It wasn't the preaching that led him to repentance, so much as the manifestation of the power of God. So this revival lasted for six months, was at its peak in July, and it wasn't due to any distinctions in theology. It wasn't from setting forth a particular doctrine, but it was from going back to the simplicity of the gospel with much prayer. So you may be wondering why so many people fall down in these revivals. Every account I just read describes people falling down, being prostrated. The passage Pastor Ray is about to read also talks about this phenomenon. 
and I want to focus on this because I've been to churches in this area today where people fall down, but it's not the same because what we witness in the churches, what I have witnessed in the churches today when this happens is people fall down and then they get up and then they're exactly the same. They're not changed. And they come to the same church week after week, they fall down, they get up, but their life isn't changed. So this phenomenon comes out of what's sometimes been called a solemn fear of sinning, or what the scriptures call the fear of God. And this isn't just a reverence or an awe, as some people like to say. There's an actual fear of God that comes when God comes in his holiness. You see this in Isaiah and Ezekiel. These were both prophets of God who were righteous, but even when the holiness of God came to them, they were immobilized. They were undone. Isaiah 66, verse 2, God says, I will look to the man who is poor and of a contrite spirit, who trembles at my word. In Jeremiah 23, he uses very similar language. Jeremiah says, My heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man and like a man whom wine hath overcome. Just a minute here, my page got stuck. He's like a man whom wine hath overcome because of the Lord and because of the words of his holiness. Now, why is the holiness of God terrifying? We find out in the next verse. For the land is full of adulterers. Because of swearing, the land mourns. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil and their force is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yea, in my house I have found wickedness, saith the Lord. Wherefore their ways shall be unto them as slippery ways in the darkness. They shall be driven on and fall therein, for I will bring evil upon them, even the year of their visitation, saith the Lord. I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers, that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom, and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood, and make them drink the water of gall. For from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. So what's happening when these people are falling down, they're having an encounter of holiness with God, and they're seeing that their adultery deserves hell. They, a lot of these people see themselves actually falling into the fires of hell. They see that, as this says, God will feed them wormwood, will make them drink gall. This becomes a present experience to the conscience. And this is what we're praying for in these revival meetings. When we pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we're praying for, yes, the healings, the signs, and the wonders. But most of all, we're praying for this conviction because what comes out of that is a permanent change. You don't see people making a profession of faith and then backsliding one week later and ending up worse than they started in the first place. But you see people who experience sound conversions. You see huge numbers of these people. And the result of all that even ends up in societal reform and societal change. 
which Pastor Ray will get into in his example. Thank you, Alexandra. I want to share with you from the year 1859 in Northern Ireland, Londonderry, or Derry as it's called, there was an awakening. How did it begin? Well, four young men, converts, gave their testimony in a crowded service in the First Presbyterian Church. Several thousand people were present. Suddenly, a number of people began to call out to God for mercy. That night, many of the people could not sleep. Some wept in their homes for hours. Others cursed and swore in anger. Monday night again, there was a united service in the First Presbyterian Church. The building was overcrowded, but the ministers spoke calmly. The meeting felt still as a grave. The stillness was fearful. Those who were present will never forget it. At length, the silence was broken by unearthly cries uttered by several in different parts of the church. In a few minutes, the vestry was filled with people. They lay in mental agony and absolute bodily prostration. Here's one account from among the hundreds in the service. A well-educated merchant of high morality suddenly saw hell open before his eyes, and an irresistible power seemed to force him headlong into it. He looked around and said to himself, I know where I am. This is the church where I usually worship. This is a delusion. But as he looked down, there was hell. He arose from his seat, and he seized the back of the pew in front of him. The smoke from hell seemed to rise in his face. He shuddered, and his heart cried out, My sins! My sins! I'm lost! He staggered out of the building, and he went home. Had anyone asked him, Where are you going? He would have answered, I'm going to hell. Upon reaching his room, for several hours, he called out to God for mercy. Then God's promises came to his mind, and he joyously seized them, and a heavenly radiance spread over his soul. He arose a Christian. He raced out into the dark of night across town, and he knocked on his business partner's door. When the door opened, he called out, I've found Christ. I have to tell you about it. They prayed together. Three days later, his partner was powerfully converted also. An Episcopal clergyman wrote that over a six-week period, there were 50 cases of people laying on the floor in his Sunday worship service, and that some 250 of the people in his parish had been converted Another Episcopal minister reported that of the 5,000 people in his parish, there was scarcely a family in which one or more members had not been soundly converted. A Presbyterian minister assigned a tour 
the churches on behalf of home missions reported concerning the revival, I soon found that half was not told me. At some of the meetings which I attended, there was an intense bodily laying on the floor. I was it was truly dreadful to see some of these, to hear their agonizing cries for mercy, to see the terror depicted on every feature of their countenance. It was awful. But how delightful it was to observe that sin-stricken soul as it began to trust on the Savior. Words can convey no idea of the heavenly joy that beams from the eye or of the calm assurance deposited on the countenance when a man finds Christ. It was his opinion that God was using this laying on the floor, unconscious, to draw attention to the Spirit's work. He found physical manifestations decreasing, but the cases of conviction and sin and conversion unto God increasing rapidly. Revival was reaching new districts now, carrying with it floods of enriching blessing. Thousands of God's people have been literally revived and refreshed by it. I want to stop the account for a moment. Revival begins as a decision on our part that we're going to obey God in every area. A confession of real sin and a turning away from that sin. Man takes the first step and God takes the second step. Without the kind of revival we're describing for you, America is lost. In both the first and the second great awakening, America was transformed by the power of God. We must see that transformation take place again. But it means that people who thought they were Christians but continued to walk in their sin will have to recognize that they were not Christians, that they had not ever been converted. You see, a converted man no longer walks in sin. He's washed and made clean. He's a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now, in many places in Northern Ireland, the revival reports told of the transformed faces of the newly saved. From Londonderry came the account of a girl who felt as if she was in hell for three hours. Her face during that time gave one the idea of a lost soul. She then fell into kind of a trance, and her face was completely changed. The radiance of glory overspread it, and for four hours she seemed to be in the regions of the blessed. She was given special visions during that time, but was never but she was never heard to describe them. She continued steadfast in faith, an example of humility and love and all the other graces of the Spirit. In some instances, those prostrated, while seemingly oblivious to all else, showed wonderfully anointed memories. One pastor told of a girl who lay with fixed eyes turned to heaven for four hours, she quoted over a hundred scriptures and related and applied 
these scriptures to her own case. She repeated sermons and exhortations that the pastor had preached over previous months, quoting large sections of these verbatim. Afterward, the pastor questioned her, but she could not remember the sermons or quote those scripture passages accurately as she had done when gripped by the Holy Spirit. A 30-year-old man, born deaf and mute, was working in a peat bog close by when the Holy Spirit so convicted him of his sin that he started to his sister's house where he lived. He was so smitten that he lost nearly all of his strength, and he had to lie down twice before he reached home. He prayed all night until breakfast the next morning. Suddenly he felt God's saving grace. He leaped up into the air and clasped his arms as though holding some person to his heart. His face beamed with delight and radiated love and gratitude. Another man, going home from the market where he had sold his produce, was walking along the road counting his money. Suddenly he was struck by such conviction that he fell on the ground, and like Saul of Tarsus, his money was scattered on the road. In another town, revival started by the fireside in a farmhouse. A visitor began to describe revival scenes he had seen earlier in another country when suddenly a servant boy who was listening felt convicted. Moments later, a servant girl and then the brother of the visitor were all prostrate under conviction. None of these people had ever shown any religious interest before. Word spread around the village. Neighbors gathered, and they spent the night in prayer and singing praises to God. Early the next morning, they sent for the minister. Before the day was over, the news had spread throughout the whole area. The revival fire spread, and new converts started prayer meetings and Sunday schools that had ceased. Young men began daily morning prayer meeting that was to continue for six months. As a result of the revival, Northern Ireland became known for a time as the most peaceful province in the British Empire. A great revival gathering was held and 20,000 people attended. Special trains ran from Belfast and other cities to bring people to the revival gathering. The people crowded to capacity in the train cars. They sang hymns along the way. They passed out tracks and when the train stopped at the station in Belfast. Revival. The ministers... They were busy day and night praying in homes and in churches and after the services. Many became exceedingly weary, yet rejoiced in it all. Said one minister, oh, what a, what a heaven to minister to a revived people. An Episcopal minister described the physical manifestations as being of two kinds. The vast majority responded with tears and trembling. The rest were completely prostrate on the floor. The minister said the latter were treated with prudence and caution. 
God used this striking down to arrest the attention of the worst sinners of the population and to bring them face to face with the reality of of God and of eternity. These, These events were sent by God to serve a special end. And when the purpose was served, they ceased. One man said they were sent in my mind as much for the benefit as others as for those who were the subjects of them. God meant to awaken people. Well, Alexandra, I could continue sharing. It's amazing. In one place, there were a hundred people on their knees wailing because of their broken hearts, overwhelmed with solemnity and awe and the fear of the day of judgment. For hours, these stricken, bleeding souls remained on their knees, unconscious of everything but their own guilt and danger and need of a Savior. Now, what I want you to see and Alexandra's shared with you also. These revivals were not freak shows. These revivals were men and women who finally were willing to get honest under the power of the Holy Spirit about their sin. Church people getting honest about their sin, their private lives. Are you willing to get honest about your private life? Are you willing to turn from all sin? Are you willing to be converted and not just be a churchman? There were lasting changes that happened because of these revivals. Bars were closed. Drunkenness almost ceased. Crime, prostitution, profanity, quarreling, cockfighting, feuds, fraud, dishonesty, family bickering. And there arose in Northern Ireland a great interest in education, in sacred music, in the Bible, in personal cleanliness, and in eliminating poverty. All across Northern Ireland, ministers were eager to write or tell about the amazing work of the Lord in their own churches and communities. Months after the revival had passed, pastors testified that every person they knew who was truly converted during the revival, regardless of his or her previous life or background, carried on faithfully in the Lord Jesus. Now, it's not surprising In the early days of the revival, many pastors had questions in their minds about some of the physical manifestations and of the conversion experiences, and yet nearly all came to a profound awareness that these manifestations were proof of the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, Alexandra, when I... I read these accounts, I know this cannot be manufactured by man. Do you want to say anything about this? 
This is why we're inviting you to pray for these meetings. Yes. And if you'd like to be part of a prayer team, there is a group forming that will make a commitment to pray for this kind of outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our Monday night meetings. And we're praying that this revival will spread quickly throughout all of Woodbridge and then spread farther into the D.C. area and ultimately throughout the country. And we're praying that it won't be only on Monday night, but many nights every week. But in the meantime, we have Monday nights, and you can listen day by day on the radio at 1 o'clock to Pilgrim's Progress as we share with you biblical understanding and a call to repentance as we share with you the gospel of Jesus not the gospel of the humanistic church of today, but the gospel of, of the judgment and of being made righteous, of being washed, being made clean in Jesus. Now, I want to give you again the information that you'll need. Revival meetings will begin on Monday night in Washington, D.C., at the All Saints Anglican Church. We're located at 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. It is the National Prayer Chapel, it's the All Saints Anglican Church, and it's any other church that would like to come and be a part of this. We are watching as God is opening up what's happening and we'd like to take the last five minutes to just pray together and before we pray I'd just like to give out the website you can go to it's revivalnow.church that's revivalnow.church and there you'll find the meeting information you'll find a way to volunteer and a newsletter sign up which we encourage you to do Lord, we just cry out to you today. I know that there's not any way possible for us in flesh to bring about the conviction of sin. I know that's something that only your Holy Spirit can do. Lord, I'm asking, would you awaken your people? Would you come in mighty power? Will you, will you bring conviction of sin? Would you bring an understanding that this is the last hour? Lord, I know it's time to be right with you, to be washed and made clean, to be healed and restored. That the complacency and the slowness of heart, the love of the world would be utterly forsaken. Lord Jesus, come, please. Father, the church as it is now is greatly dishonoring to you in the eyes of the world. And I'm sorry that this is this has become the normal state, this complacency that Pastor Ray is talking about. Lord, we know that we need absolutely the outpouring and the coming of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we'll preach it as straight and honest as we can. 
we'll study and we'll prepare ourselves. And Lord, we trust you that you will come and meet us because you said that you would always be with us until the end of the world. Lord, I pray for every person listening right now that this powerful conviction of the Holy Spirit would press them and that they would not delay in getting right with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, I know there is no way that a man can get right with you without the Holy Spirit convicting. I know that the church in America is failing because of the wickedness that has grown up in our nation, that our nation is being destroyed. Lord, I'm asking, would you set the pulpits of America on fire again with righteousness, with holiness? Lord, we don't need more sentimental love. I'm so tired of listening to men and women talk about how they love Jesus and they can quote the scriptures, but then they love the things of the world. One moment they're talking about how much they love Jesus and the next they're going their way in darkness and think it's okay. Don't see it as a problem. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to come and show each one. Lord, now would you come and show each one listening to this radio broadcast where they stand with you. May that root of sin be utterly taken out of their hearts. Lord, we plead today your blood. We plead your mercy. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to RevivalNow.Church. We love you. I'm Ray Greenley. I'm Alexandra. And we'll talk to you soon. God bless you. God bless you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.